Welcome to Fashion Futures Podcast. It's your host, Camila Sanders. And this season, we are discussing Africa. We're connecting with industry experts and individuals on the front lines to gain viable resources for your fashion journey. Together, we're working to take back fashion, shift power, shift economics, shift paradigms, and create a new sustainable ethical fashion system. Take a listen and let's accelerate fashion forward. If you could briefly introduce yourself and what you do. Thank you for having me. So I'm Sarah Ali. I'm talking to you from London, um, England, where I've grown up in West London. Um, I'm born in Sudan, in Northeast Africa. And so I'm Afro-Arab, but I grew up in London with looking at the West through African eyes and then looking at Africa through Western eyes. I studied architecture. I never wanted to be an architect, that I did know, but the training that I got from studying architecture was this critical eye and this critique for form and function and what is the point and how buildings change the way people behave. So I would you know, watch the way people walk into cathedrals and mosques and school. And then I would look at fashion and then fashion then became an extension of architecture. Um, my grandfather was a playwright and a cultural critic. Um, my father was an airline manager. And so with that, I had the privilege of traveling a lot and all the time being told as a Muslim, this is what you wear or this is how you sit. Just really having that realization that fashion had power, as did architecture. Yeah, no, I I, I left architecture and went into fashion. I trained with Giorgio Armani. I did a summer job with Dapper Dan. Gosh, I worked with Paul Smith. I worked on the first franchise of Harvey Nichols going into the Middle East. Um, I worked on bringing Michael Kors over from the States to Europe and then down from Furstenberg. All in all, I'm, I'm quite old, so <laughs> I've done a lot and I'm proud of the work I've done. But in, in the last 10 years, I've been focusing on cultural policy and diplomacy and using fashion, architecture and art as a soft power for diplomacy and cultural um, relations. So, yeah, I thought it was a long introduction because I'm old, so I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah. I know, and there's probably so much more you could add to that, too, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's that's really interesting. What was the catalyst for you to get into fashion? What was your journey to get into fashion and really stay in that industry? Sure. Well, I see the garment construction very similar to architecture. So like I said to you, training in architecture, I saw pattern cutters in my lunch break when I was a student at university. I worked in um, Giorgio Armani in, in the weekend. And so I would look at the pattern cutters in the alteration room and I would see a blueprint, you know, the architectural blueprint. And so I see everything through the eyes of, of an architect. But then I was fascinated by the atelier mentality, the white coats, the artisans wore, you know, it was very clinical um, and it was so quiet. You'd only hear the, the radio in the background. And this is just in, in, you know, just behind the stockroom. So there was this magical world. And then I was also quite obsessed with kind of fairy tales and I would see fashion in everything from, you know, Cinderella's gown, the symbolism of the shoe, Little Red Riding Hood, Elves in the Shoemaker. Gosh, everything I would see kind of fashion. And I was a daydreamer. I, I grew up 
with four boys and um, like I said to you, being Muslim, being coming from a kind of privileged background where I was given an exposure to art and fashion shows through the diplomacy work of my father. I didn't realize, for example, that the Serpentine Gallery that people kind of traveled and aspired to was that gallery down the road. I took for granted the fact that, you know, the whole world was watching British fashion and protocol. To me, it was just down the road until, again, looking at it through African eyes. And then I started to sort of explore this concept of, you know, why is it that when an African is sewing under some kind of small uh, textiles mill, they're called a, a garment worker. But then, you know, Savile Row and, and the streets of Paris, they have beaders and embroiderers, but then they're not called workers. They're, they're called artisans and and they are paid well and very well respected. And, and so I started to see the lack of democracy and how fashion can be a language to engage people, but then at the same time, how it's caused a huge division from what we're seeing nowadays from the, you know, the headscarf to all sorts of things like, you know, human rights, uh, modern slavery, human trafficking, intellectual property. There is a way to use fashion as a language and as a vessel to have really important conversations about women's bodies and self-identity and, and, and all sorts of things. And, and so therefore, it, you know, I started off kind of going, oh my God, you know, we're so in, I'm on, working with Harvey Nichols, you know, I'm doing buying and merchandising for the Middle East. What a privilege. But then I realized it was a responsibility and a liability if you get it wrong, because the people leading these trends they could be custodians of culture or they can just be another gimmick. And there was no victory in being another editor or another designer or another curator for me with all respect to those careers. Because, you know, we already have a Donatella Versace. We already have an Edward Enningful. So why would you do something just because somebody else has done it? And even before Instagram, um, I started to step away from this idea of being seen yeah so I, I could go on all in all I basically I got over it I don't buy a lot of fashion I recycle and share a lot of things with my with my friends I wear saris for my mum's wardrobe but I do adore it I do adore it for the protocol for the self-identity for the rituals for the prints for the detail for the structure and, and the confidence it gives people. Yeah, but then at the same time, the same robe that people wear, if it says this is who I am, then not everybody gets to be who they are in this society from, you know, um, we're talking about LGBTQ community again to Islamic regimes. And all of this is fashion because that's how we identify each other, strangers walking down the road. So it can either be a dialogue or it can divide us and cause judgment. So that's really what I've been fascinated with. And I've stepped away from the lure of Fashion Week because of the carbon uh, footprint of the whole thing. I started to see it as a, a pantomime, really became cynical of the whole fashion cycle, because to me, it wasn't in Africa's interest. You know, we don't have spring, summer, autumn, winter 
in Africa, we kind of have, you know, drought and raining season, and now we have flooding season. You know, so this notion of four seasons or collections or discovering, I started to look at it through squinted eyes and seeing that we need to decolonize this conversation. And there's a columbusing of talent and a robbing of culture and identity that it's not in Africa's interest. And so, yeah, <laughs> that's... Um... You said so much there. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, there's so many, there's so many, like at least 10 episodes that we can dive in so deeper good. with everything that you said. That was really good. And I, I love it how you acknowledge the power that fashion has and just the impact that it has on people and just communication in general. And you said a few different things about Africa and you mentioned like, for example, how we call people garment workers instead of artisans, right? Mm -hmm. And you also talk about just how the fashion industry is not in Africa's interest. It has a huge carbon footprint and kind of how the whole system of fashion is just, you know, if you really look at it through that lens, even though fashion is powerful, it has a lot of issues that need to be addressed. I would love to understand or ask you why do you think that fashion is not in Africa's interest or why do you think that that we as a fashion industry separate and not call people as they are artisans but they call them garment workers why has that occurred and kind of how 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 should it be and how can we kind of get to the point where it's not that way anymore you know, if I was going to answer you in one word, it's colonialism and capitalism. But I think once we understand that fashion for me is it's about rituals on culture and and, you know, me saying, you know, this is the, the print of my family and this is the silhouette that suits me. And and this is how I feel comfortable. But yet this is my turn. All of these things we can talk about. We can break it down like that. But overall, to me, you know, if you look at the word fashion itself, it's like when you say you came in an orderly fashion or you know, it's the way you do something. So it's the way it's it's a way of being. It's a, it's a spiritual kind of almost holistic thing for me. So that to me is directly related with the Ubuntu philosophy of African values, of connection, of community, of sustainability, of sharing. You know, all Ubuntu cultures, as far as I, I understand, our tribes to be, and yes, there are hundreds of them. And in that way, I will talk about Africa as a monolith, even though that often annoys me. But, you know, the idea of a new wardrobe, it's not, again, spring, summer, autumn, winter, or when Vogue says so, or when Condé Nast needs a new franchise in another country, is more to do with a becoming part of like a, a, a ritual. You know, I, I remember like talking 
talking to my cousin about this in Sudan, and she she gets a, a wardrobe when when she got into university, and and I was like, what? Like when? Why? What? What? Why is that a thing? But it was for the woman that she's becoming, and and so I thought I was like so fascinating, and so you know this idea of mending clothes or renewing that's a Western construct. You know, Fashion Week is a Western construct. This idea of of newness being you know a new skin layer that can be thrown in the washing machine. That doesn't work in Africa's interest because at the end of the day, the dyes for the fashion industry are coming from Africa, most of them. The the cotton is usually coming from Africa. We know so much about blood diamonds and now go to influence fashion houses and jewelry browns as well. This idea of the music, the cornrows, all of these things, it's not in Africa's interest because we, we don't have the intellectual property rights on it. If a designer decided to use a Scottish print, you know, the tartan, the kind of crisscrossy, there are families in Scotland that can sue you for using their yarn, their family emblem, their, their print. We don't have that. We don't have that. And so, you know, Africa has given the fashion industry so much. And then what has the fashion industry given it back. Yes, there are a few more models now on the catwalk or, or a lot more. And that is amazing for, you know, us to see ourselves. But it's not enough for the ecosystem. It's not enough for the colonial waste dumping of, of textiles. It's not enough um, for the textiles mills that are being bulldozed down in African countries to build real estate with ocean view properties for Western investors to, to come in. It's not in the interest of the women who get paid so little, but yet the same dress that, you know, is made for $3, $7, the equivalent of that is, can be sold in, in you know, Fifth Avenue or the Champs-Élysées or Bond Street for seven, eight, nine hundred, you know, the equivalent of in, in dollars. And that woman doesn't even know her worth unless it's measured in US dollars for us to know that that is a trend. So, you know, the concept of like, you know, why do I think that about Africa? It's, I'm, I'm offended that it's taken this long for all of us to have this conversation. And I know that, you know, it's not something that's new. It sparks up every now and then, you know, uh, we've just lost, Queen Elizabeth II, I'm talking to you from the UK, but, you know, she wore headscarves all the time, you know, when she was riding her horses, when she was traveling abroad from, from the wind. But yet, you know, when certain groups of women in certain tribes wear the headscarf, it's seen as extremism or it's not allowed. These are all Africa-based narratives because, you know, when we did it, it wasn't fashionable they learned it from us and I that they being the global north Africa causes very little in terms of carbon emission and then when the global north is finished with its trends its algorithm success its influences its blue ticks they come and dump the waste on Africa and then that's where the flooding's happening. These are where the harvests are, are being going to waste, you know, and then the same, same African countries don't have institutions to learn, you know, these courses to be 
the next Virgil Abloh or the next Wells Bonner. You can't study that in Khartoum or Kigali. You have to go to Central St. Martins or, you know, go to Parsons or something to be on the radar of the world. But yet all of these people are actually going back like I do. I go back and ask my mother and ask my grandmother, you know, well, well, how do we do with that? Well, what is that, you know, tribal scar mean? What does it all started from Africa, but yet we're the last to be asked, what do you think? It's almost an afterthought. Yeah, it's a form of colonialism for me. And I think that it's too little, too late. <laughs> it, it sounds really cynical, um, but I, I, I'm excited to talk about this because, you know, as you can hear, I can talk all day about it. But then I'm also quite exhausted because the people who I speak to and I have the privilege of speaking to people at really high levels, I'm thinking at the back of my head, how the hell did you get this far without knowing this? Because they should have gone on, on a course. They've gone, they should, they should have checked. They should have checked that the, the least paid person in their company is being paid because it's nothing. It's the equivalent of their parking ticket, really, before they take that corner office. These are people who say that they are patrons or sponsors or investors or, or whatever of, of sustainability conferences and they're government leaders. And, and, you know, I speak to parliament, I speak to architects, I speak to royal families. I mean, I've been a, a consultant for the royal household. And, you know, when they ask me, you know, where is this from? And I'm like, Africa, sir. <laughs> and then they're like, OK, and how, where can we learn more about this? Uh, oh, they say, I own this one conversation. Um, His Highness was saying, I said, you need to, well, I didn't say you need to like that. I said, you know, I would recommend that when you, you know, you go to this certain country that he was going to, um, you should check X, Y, Z, because these textile mills are becoming extinct. And he said, well, where are the machines? And I said, in the British Library. And that's the truth. And, and you know, he was really relieved that I had the confidence to say that to him, but you kind of think, why don't you know this? Like, why? And just because somebody is of of high salary, high in blue tick, high in, you know, the way we see them, again, these are Western constructs because the kings and queens in Africa are struggling. They're struggling to be recognized as royalty because they're robbed of their jewels and of, of their silks and their towns and their people because people are emigrating to the north to count. That's so powerful because like you said, a lot of things are from Africa and originated from Africa. And it's it's as if that culture has been erased. And once it gets to the global north, you know, maybe we recognize something because we're, you know, a little bit closer to that and we recognize a print. And I know when I, you know, maybe look at some things that designers are doing in the global North that I'm like, or even going into like a home goods store and you're like, oh, this is from India, but why are you selling it? And why are you selling it for $15 or, you know, or, or whatever, like, you know, that, that there is culture, there is history behind this. Um, yes. And like you said, not everyone knows, but that has just completely been erased. And we're so yes. distant from that. You said a few different things. You 
you mentioned education and people just don't necessarily have the education to learn like how to do these things or even an artisan that that is making these items they don't necessarily know their worth they're making the items they're only getting paid a little bit and someone else is making all the money from it yeah and so and like you said you know it's it's this has just gone on I know, so sorry, long. but it, it's two it's two ways the education factor because we need to understand uh-huh. that it was uh, it, it should feel like it's worth seven hundred dollars when it's made under a palm tree, you know, by somebody who learned that ritual from their grandmother. And this is, you know, not to sort of dismiss the African institutions, but then at the same time, why do we even as Africans? feel that you know the when Dolce and Gabbana do African print then then the Africans themselves were you know it wasn't fashionable to wear African print 20 years ago you know and and that whole thing started not because you know the West discovered anything new you know we should know history has taught us enough times that all the resources were in Africa and they still are and, and even with all of this taking 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 people still come and take more from Africa. And so it shouldn't be hard to convince anybody that, you know, Africa is getting a raw deal. And fashion is just one aspect of this capitalism that's happening. I mean, yes, there's a sharing of a narrative and, you know, we get to say, but, you know, there are still, it's just, it's, it's, there's funding issues, there's logistics. An African designer can't sell to the U.S., as easily as a European designer because of the logistics, because how much it costs to send things out because of border control, because of US foreign policy, because of many reasons why they can't send things out. You know, it's not right for them not to see what their own work looks like in the windows of you know, Max Mara or Sotheby's or, you know, they are the original artists and they get to see it last, if at all, when there isn't an electricity cut. And that's unjust. And so how do we, how do we shift this? You mentioned like funding, you mentioned just, you know, really access to, to different markets, education, like how, how do we start to shift what is happening? And the reason why I asked this, and really the reason why this this season is dedicated to Africa is because, like you said, there's so many resources, there's so many examples of what we call, you know, sustainability. And like you said, not necessarily going by seasons, but going by uh, what it, what is happening in your life at that time. There's so many examples of like luxury and quality clothing in Africa, right? And so mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, if we could get back to this, if we could, you know, highlight what is happening and use that as an example. And I know, you know, a lot of this has been centuries, right? <laughs> of, yes, of, exactly. of work and colonialism. How do yeah. we start to shift that and move the needle? Thanks for listening to part one of our conversation with Sarah Ali. Want to learn how we can shift things? Find out in our next episode, part two of our conversation, where Sarah discusses how we can make a positive shift in the fashion industry. See you then.
Thanks for listening to Fashion Futurist Podcast. Let's take back fashion together. Like, subscribe, and share as these small actions help to spread the word and make a collaborative impact. For more ways to get involved, join me, Camila Sanders, in the Fashion Futurist community by visiting fashionfuturist.io. Let's take action and accelerate fashion forward.